did you think you'd have served 15 million people at this point? Did you think you'd be raising $100 million a year? He'll always say, yes, I thought we'd be doing so much more. This is an essential need. How is this not going faster? How is it not bigger? So we have grown um, significantly, particularly given our 15 year history and, and, and we're still so young here in the UK. We've grown significantly, but we we don't want incremental growth. We want, you know, massive change. million people without clean water within a 30 minute round trip from their home. We want to have zero people in that position. Purposely Podcast, speaking with social entrepreneurs and charity founders and leaders, people who are making the world a better place. Here's your host, Mark Longbottom. Hello, Bellamy. Very well, welcome to Purposely Podcast. Hi, Mark. You're the MD for Charity Water UK. What's your mission and vision? Our mission is what it says. So Charity Water, we want to achieve a world where every single person has clean, safe drinking water. So very much um, what it says on the can almost. But our vision is slightly higher and, and in one step removed. So our vision is to reinvent charity. So actually what we want to do is not just bring everybody clean water, but to do it in a way which is joyful, hopeful, positive, connecting people, creating empathy, rallying generosity. So there's a whole different side to what we do beyond just the clean drinking water mission. And I read a horrendous statistic where dirty water was responsible for more deaths than violence or war in the world. Yeah, it, it really is. It's, it's horrific. And it's it's one of those things that people don't think about. Um, and I think partly because it's, it's this has existed forever, right? We've never had a world where everybody has clean and safe drinking water. Um, in you know, in the UK where where I am, we've we've had it for centuries, but it's not something we think about others necessarily not having. So that's where it, it doesn't get the attention or the feeling of urgency that something like war or other forms of violence bring. Um, and I also think it's because it doesn't it it's not immediate for people. They don't see it. Um, they can't touch it if they're not there. So so part of our role is how do we help people connect and understand that this is an issue and also it's one that they can fix. Um, because the, the other scary thing layered on top of that is that the people it predominantly affects, um, particularly on the death side, is actually children. Um, so it's it's children under five um, in particular who die from dirty water, which is just, just heartbreaking. All the associated diseases with dirty water and lack of sanitation, um, it's a lack of toilets, um, lack of a place to wash their hands, and then the drinking water itself. And I came across you guys um, picking up on your founder, Scott Harrison, and his story, which um, is is illustrated really well online. And anyone I should advise to go and Google Scott Harrison and the founder story. But um, what inspired you to join and what inspired you to um, bring it to the UK? I think I was really lucky. So if I look at sort of my career and how it's developed over time and how I've come to be here, um, I was always searching 
for something. And what I started in publishing, so very different sector. And then I realised that um, publishing isn't about creating great works of literature. Obviously, there's people in it who love it, but actually it's about, it's a business. So I decided to then move into business um, and went and worked for a large corporate, learned a huge amount. Um, But one of the biggest lessons being that I didn't fit somehow and, and I wasn't particularly happy and it was jarring for me. Um, and so I moved into the charity sector um, only to learn over time that the charity sector also has to operate very much like a business. We still have costs to cover and um, money to make to direct it and achieve great impact. But actually, it, it's not always as clean and simple as we would like. Um, and so I was feeling slightly disillusioned even within this sector. Um, and then I just saw... Um, the job for Charity Water advertised. I'd actually just accepted a job somewhere else, um, but something about it spoke to me. Um, I think it was it was that vision of reinventing charity, the feeling of joy and hopefulness, and also doing everything in such a transparent way and really holding values at the core of what we do. So the fact that respect and integrity are just so much a part of how we work. So it was simply a job advert. Um, I applied... Um, and it wasn't a quick process from there. It, it was a, you know, people that Charity Water really likes to make sure they know you and the values side of it fits before they take you on. Um, but as soon as I'd had that first interview, I said no to the other job and, and, and was all in just because I loved so much the, the clarity of the mission and the way it was being achieved. In terms of your earlier career, just looking at that for a little bit. So you focused on CSR in your early career, sort of business for good. Would that be fair? I did, I did. And that was, that wasn't by accident, but it was something I didn't know existed, I would say, when I went into the business side of things. I went into the business side of things um, on a graduate training scheme um, with, with a very large business and moved into different positions. And one of my early projects was, um, they, they put me on a in a call centre answering the phones to learn the real basics of customer service, which is so important. You realise now in terms of just how you behave, how you work with people, how I now currently work with donors. It was a really valuable experience doing that as a job. Um, but I'd been there three months doing that, working alongside people who trained me and, and supported me. And they then decided to shut that call centre and outsource that call centre to India. And I was then on part of that project to outsource, um, which was fascinating. Again, how do you, you pick up all these operations and move them from one country to another? What does that look like? Different cultures interacting. Um, but for me, I was I felt really guilty that these people had trained me and worked with me and been really supportive for me to then be part of this process and closing and, and, and you know getting rid of their jobs. And then also I had this amazing opportunity of going to India and helping to set up the call center there, but also felt we didn't do that in the most responsible way. I didn't there was such a juxtaposition in terms of the lifestyle that we led and then the poverty that there was and things like access to clean drinking water not not being universal was was heartbreaking really especially when I was in a position where I was able to go and have you know drinks you know fancy cocktails or or whatever else it was it just felt so wrong um and because of that I was I was irritating I think to be honest I was passionate about it and I was noisy about it and I was just a bit of a a pain 
Um, and so because that, when I came back to the UK, um, management at the company just said, okay, fine, well, um, that, why don't you do something about it? So go and go and work in the corporate responsibility team um, and, and, you know, learn more about this. And so I, I was really lucky that that's the approach they took. Um, and, and so I went from there and I, I started on the diversity and inclusion side of things and then very quickly moved into community involvement. What can the business do with its employees? Um, but then what could it do actually more on a strategic level as well? How does it become something that investors look, look at? How do you act responsibly when you go into a new country? All those type of things. So it was a huge learning experience. But yeah, that's it. It was, it was accidental that I ended up in that Um but I feel very fortunate to have done so. It feels like we've come a long way that businesses are no longer just focused on share, shareholder value. But were you, Hannah Bellamy, were you like impatient though? You wanted more social good to be considered in the mix? Oh, completely. I think I was really, I, mean, I, I, I look back on it now and I think I was annoying. I don't think I learned how to take that passion and energy and really a sense of injustice and I hadn't quite learned how to channel it um and that's really important that everything has come a long way but it's always about actually learning how to take personal views and feelings and really it does come down to deep feelings and how to channel those in a way which helps others to understand them and also see a way to move so where are they coming from why do they feel that way how can I better understand their motivations to help move an organization as opposed to just me and then that person and then that person. How do you take a whole culture and shift it? And it's it's come along hugely. It, it's great to see. Um, there's always yeah. more to do, but, but yeah, there's been great progress. I think I think often, sadly, um, CSR was quite siloed um, and, and probably still is to a certain extent, but certainly back then it was, you know, this offsetting mentality that, a business will do bad here, but but a little bit of good there will offset that. But it, it, you were kind of, um, you know, responsible for uh, all the good. And uh, you typically would be a one-person team or um, you, you sort of headed, looks like in your career you've headed mu much toward, towards um, the front line, if you like, and, and making a real difference to people's lives. So out of corporate, what was your first role? Um, I went to work for an environmental charity, a behaviour change charity called Global Action Plan, um, on their their team. So on their team of working with businesses, so how to work with businesses to consider their environmental footprint, um, and worked on some really interesting projects. Like how do you get um, people making adverts to do it in a way which is more sustainable, um, not only through what they're actually doing, but how do they reflect that? how do we start to show behavior and showcase behavior to people um so i did that uh yeah for, for a number of years and then moved into a marketing role with global action plan um, which gave me a much broader sense of engaging people and individuals on change and you've been in leadership roles for, for a number of years now in, in non-profit organizations do you work well on your own with a small team what's your kind of preference and and because you you know the the main management of of charity waters in america isn't it and you've got a satellite office in the uk yeah um we're very so and i've worked in different sized organizations and different different roles i've been in my past two roles so united way um helping to establish 
UK office there and then helping establish the UK office of charity water. I suppose I'm always coming in as an outsider to a certain level within an organisation. But actually, um, charity water in particular is very integrated. So I don't feel we are structurally a satellite office, but I sit on the leadership team for charity water um, at a global level and we work very closely together. We sometimes have different messaging needs and we're at very different stages in terms of the the perception of the brand and the age of the organization itself but we we're one we're, we're pulling in one direction which is is great because there's you know you get the tailwinds behind you when you do that and it sounds like the culture organizational culture is pretty strong it's really strong and it's been so interesting um we're now fully remote so we did when i started um so i've been with charity water for, for just over four years when i started I would go to New York pretty much every quarter to really spend time with the people. And every time there was a slight blockage, I think, okay, actually, I know we'll spend time together. We'll work this this through. And there was this great culture and, and formed amazing friendships. And I just have huge admiration for the team and the talent. Um, we were so fortunate to have such great people. Mm-hmm. But then in March 2020, there was a COVID case um, in the New York office building so it was closed and then it's never opened again and now we're fully remote um which has been really interesting because it's made the uk and the us in terms of everybody's in the same place i don't need to do that that everybody's together i need to come in but it's been a big project and ongoing attention needed to how do we maintain this strong sense of values and culture and team um, which every, yeah. every other organisation is going through right now. But, um, yeah, we've made the decision not not to go back. Um, so, so we'll continue. Because you, you said yourself in terms of um, those moments that got hard or you need to sort stuff out, you, you you know, you get on a plane and you fly out and you be in person. Um, what, what are the tactics for, uh, you know, replicating that online and virtually? It's lots of one-on-one phone calls, I think, um, and just popping them up not feeling so I think I think what I missed before that everybody else has was when they were in the same office they could pop over to somebody's desk Um, and so that's the piece I particularly missed um, was I couldn't go and have that informal conversation or smooth things over if there was a little bit of a misunderstanding or who was doing what or anything so now I just try to be really mindful to um, we use Slack a lot just to Slack call someone and say, oh, should we, let's just jump on a quick call about this, chat through. Um, so uh, that helps on a one-to-one level. Um, we have just just all got together as a team for the first time, which is amazing because I think everyone's come back feeling energised. Um, and we've had lots of new employees, so to get everyone back, everyone to see each other face-to-face. Um, there's all of that. And then the yeah. other thing is, which I just try to be overly present, I think, Um so on Slack channels, on things like that, make sure you're commenting, make sure you're supporting people, wishing them happy birthdays, all the things outside the work. How do you keep that going um, and prioritise it? Yeah. So the big, I think the big concern when COVID hit was, especially for international charities, were is that their countries that they operated in were going to suffer hugely. Um, and actually, how do you deliver support a development to countries you can't get to. Um, I mean, a lot of organizations have got in-country teams, but give us a feel for how that affected your your organization. We, so our structure, how we work is Charity Water, um, we 
fundraise in the UK and the US and, and, and everywhere else, but that's where our main entities are. Um, we don't have staff on the ground within the countries that we're delivering programs. So we're active in, in 21 countries right now, um, predominantly uh, so Africa and, and Southeast Asia. Um, but we have local partners and lots of our local partners we've worked with for years and years. Um, so we had a robust enough relationship to be able to keep working at that same level. Um, lots of them were, so, you know, there was a couple of weeks where, where nobody knew what was happening, but lot, in most countries where we were working, the drilling teams and the hydrogeologists and everybody else were deemed essential workers. So they were out still working. They were they had difficult times where they had to isolate from their families and things and actually just work as this, this one unit, not be able to interact with the villages where they went or anything else. So that we weren't impacted as much as we feared we could be in being able to deliver the work. Um, but where we, what is more difficult is actually now as we're scaling, how do we meet new partners and make sure, because we want those type of relationships, you really need to understand the quality of the work for us. When we go in and deliver a clean water project, we want it to be sustainable, manageable, to make sure the teams are working with, are doing the, using the best materials and everything. So that's where it's trickier but we do now we are now traveling again in a limited capacity to do that to, to start the scaling up within those countries and to bring on new partners um, but we haven't returned to our usual level of travel yet and what was it like fundraising during a pandemic because it's it's you know there's a lot of issues going on um did that feel kind of wrong at the beginning and and you but you had to keep doing it let the cause do the talking it's a great question it's I think it comes back to what we were talking about at the beginning, where dirty water has such a lack of sanitation has such an impact and in terms of the numbers of death and, and children under five. It's hugely important. So on that side, we had to keep going. Um, on the other side of it as well, I don't know, if you, you know, that first thing we were doing at the beginning of pandemic, we were all washing our hands constantly. Um, and so what what we were doing was bringing clean water to people to be able to wash their hands, giving them a place to wash their hands. So it felt even more important than ever, actually, when you think of it in a disease fighting capacity. So it, we, I didn't, I didn't feel like we shouldn't be, I felt like we should scale up. I felt the, the, the focus on local causes was really important, but that should never take away from this broader picture and that there's people around the world who are in very different circumstances and we should all be pulling together. It's kind of one, one humanity. Um, so I, I didn't, I felt it was more important than ever. I still feel it's more important than ever. This is a problem we know how to fix. And what I would love is for when there are disasters, when there are uh, horrific things happening, the urgency and the kindness that can, can emerge during those times and the sense of responsibility and giving, I would love for us to be able to add to that and take it and look at the ongoing problems and apply it to those. And it's how we get that sense of urgency and apply it to the ongoing problems that is how we'll fix them. And what sort of money are you guys raising each year across the whole organisation? Um, so across the global organisation, we had our first $100 million year last year, um, which was fantastic. We, it, it, you mentioned Scott, um, if, if you talk to him, and, and what he thought would happen when he started Charity Water. And people often say, did you think you'd have served 15 million people at this point? Did you think you'd, you'd be raising $100 million a year? 
he'll always say, yes, I thought we'd be doing so much more. This is an essential need. How is this not going faster? How is it not bigger? So we have grown um, significantly, particularly given our 15-year history, and, and, and we're still so young here in the UK. We've grown significantly, but we we don't want incremental growth. We want, you know, massive change. Yeah. And, and Scott's story is very inspirational, as I said earlier. And he was a, f- a photojournalist of t- of sorts, um, really good communicator from what I can see. Um, he, you know, got a real skill for that. Is a lot of your fundraising success still linked to him? Like, is there a bit of, um, you know, p- key person risk for Charity Water that if Scott doesn't keep doing what he does, um, then you guys suffer a bit? Yeah, it's an ongoing internal conversation um, and excellent. We talk, we, we talk about this and, and we're open about it. He has um, a really inspirational story and he's a huge, he's a huge character. He has massive energy and a very fast brain. Um, you know, you can just see he, he he's constantly innovating and thinking of new things. Um, so there's always whenever there's a founder that organization you have to be mindful of how how are you addressing that how are you making sure that we we implement fundraising that's sustainable that we don't rely on him um both internally and externally i think part of setting up the uk was helpful for that experiment the uk market although he is known somewhat here and we use him in some of our promotional material he's not as well known um so actually not everybody in the UK has the same sense of, of Scott as the founder and, and the story. And you'll see on our website and things we're starting to, he's there, he's present. Um, but we're starting to speak about him less and how do we use him more, use him cleverly, actually really focus his time and his energy on things he's really great at. How do how does he look at raising above that 100 million? How does he go after the really big um, donations and just focusing purely on those and so it it's something we're mindful of which is the most important thing and we're discussing it um and always adapting but yeah I, i'm excited to see what he does over the next 15 years absolutely um so people have described you as uh, you've got a relaxed approach you're very creative you're a great communicator i'm really delighted to see that you uh focus your some of your spare time on on mentoring is is mentoring a passion of yours? It's a new passion, I would say. So I didn't treat it. When I first started managing people, I didn't necessarily enjoy it. And I think I was looking at it very much from a management perspective. Um, and it wasn't something I'd thought of from a coaching side. And over time, I've started to do that more and more. And mentoring people externally is so rewarding. And it also on a selfish level helps me develop that coaching side so how do I can't I may at times feel frustrated and want to tell someone to do something but actually that's not the role of a mentor it's to advise and put guidelines and 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 sort of of champion them on and help them see things from a new perspective so I really do enjoy it um and and I'm very fortunate so charity water part of our vision of reinventing charity means that we often and I'm very open to advising others when they come and ask for help if they're looking at doing something particularly on on social good how do we as different team members how do we lend our expertise and what we've learned and what we've encountered how do we share that so I do it I, I do it officially and formally um but I also 
do it scrappily and ad hoc as people need support. Um, and, and I've learned from great people who've mentored me who give their time and energy very selflessly to help me to learn. Um, so it, it goes both ways for sure. Yeah. And where do you draw your inspiration from on a kind of daily, weekly basis? So many places. I think it's. I would never have a one, 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 one place. I do. I read the stories of the people who we're helping to bring clean water to in those communities. Um, so, so part of how we work is we want to. While we're working through partners, we do um, try to put a lot of energy into still getting to know those communities and capturing their stories. And so, reading those and the pure resilience and grit and strength termination of people um there's a woman called Mulatani who, who I often come back to and I used her in my presentation for my final interview at Charity Water I'd read about her on the website um and she was spending hours and hours every single day walking to collect dirty water for her family she had a family of five she also, you know, did, did farming, subsistence farming. Um, she was getting up before everybody else to walk and get um, water for her families before the kids went to school, then after they went to school, and then again before they came home. And it was this ongoing process. But she, you, you see photos of her, and she was the most joyful looking person you would ever see. Huge smile. You, you want to go and hang out with Mulatani. And when I see it, I, I want to be friends with Mulatani. Um, and our team, when they met her, they said, well, what's, how, at that point, it was really a life of drudgery in that sense, because her free time was all taken up with, with collecting water. So this, how do you, how does she stay so cheerful? And she said, well, my name, Bolatani, um, she said, in our language, it means, what will you do with it? Um, and so she took that to me and what will I do with this and so she always every, every day she thought what will I do with it um and she decided to, to have this joyful approach and so when I'm facing difficult times sometimes or just feeling a bit irritated or a frustration I do try to come back to that and think what will I do with it so when it when it's dire straits she's the, the person I think of the most um but as I said I'm, I'm very fortunate to be surrounded by really talented people in charity water and a network of, of supporters and mentors who so, so, so I'm, I'm, there's no shortage it's almost like an endless pool of people who are willing to help yeah and I see your work being increasingly important especially look at the climate crisis that's faced the globe is facing um and and water shortage is going to be is is already and is going to be even more of an issue in the future um, what what is your vision for the organisation, or you know what's being talked about amongst the team? We want to end the water crisis. So I think our our vision is there's 771 million people without clean water within a 30 minute round trip from their home. We want to have zero people in that position, um, and we know how to do that. So this isn't um, this isn't something that that's a fantasy in that sense. The fantasy side of it is how do we rally the resources? So what we've been trying to do as an organisation is not look at how are we doing things right now and how can we incrementally grow what we're doing things right now. It's how do we? Yep, yeah, we need to keep that going. Let's let's put that there. But how do we? 
think really big and then work back as to how that would work. How do we think out the box as to how we scale this impact? Um, so that's what we're spending time on at the moment is we've marked our 15-year history globally. What's next? How do we make it huge as opposed to as opposed to incremental change? So that's ongoing. Um, and what you do realise is the world shifts. It's not... We, we don't bring someone clean water and that's the end. There's maintenance. Yeah. There's You need to think about how is that sustainable? What does that look like? And also, unfortunately, there is conflict. There is climate change, which can, can you know, there can be climate disasters and things that we, we then need to think about how do we help in that situation. So it doesn't end, but we can fix it, if that makes sense. And in terms of... Um you know your your life see what, when you have some spare time um what do you you live in london or and what do you kind of throw yourself into do you know what i'm doing at the moment and it's a bit embarrassing and i probably shouldn't share but it's top of mind because i am in the school panto um so <laughs> i am learning dance routines and lines and i know it's uh march it's not panto season but our school where my kids go it's a great local school they have had a traditional panto that's been running for over 40 years um obviously missed one year during the pandemic but we're back um and i for the first time have a role in the school panto and it's dress rehearsal tonight so when you ask me that is what's top of mind sounds fantastic and you know it has the pandemic uh has you know a lot of the restrictions we've lived through in the last couple of years although lifted in the uk recently how do you think they've changed your outlook or has it has it made you really keen to travel like what what part of you has it made you a bit more reckless? Seize the moment a bit more? Is there anything that we've been through the last couple of years that you think actually this I do feel a bit different now? I so, so in my experience during the pandemic, my husband's uh, a psychiatrist, um, so he was going into work, and I was at home with kids and working, um, and we had to restructure the team just because we we were concerned about the the impact on fundraising. So it was really tough. Um, and I think that that what it's done is make me. I've I've managed to enjoy that additional time with my kids now. At the time, to be honest, it felt really really difficult. So I think I'm more mindful of how we enjoy that time and invest in it, and that it's not forever. Um, it hasn't. It's made me more. It hasn't made me more. I, I've traditionally been really open and reckless and really willing to travel anywhere and do anything and just keep going um i think not traveling for a couple of years has made me i want to do it but actually i've, I've just come back from a trip and it was it was more difficult it was I, I found it more of an adjustment i think we've all become much more um into this so i don't know i'll, I'll see I, I i still feel like i'm emerging somewhat um somewhat i'm not quite out yeah and i think you're not alone on on that front Thank you so much for joining me on Purpose Seat. Really enjoyed our conversation um, and really good, good luck to you and the rest of the team at Charity Water. Thank you so much, Mark. I really enjoyed chatting with you. Thanks for listening to Purposely Podcast. Please subscribe and leave a review. I hope you like what you're hearing because I sure do.